From the dark web to your radio dial, you are listening to CyberTalk Radio on News 1200 WOAI. Welcome to CyberTalk Radio. I'm your host, Brett Pyatt, a 20-year internet security veteran. Joined this week by uh, two of the partners from Realco here in San Antonio. We're going to talk uh, all about early stage investment. Uh, so if you uh, would like to learn about that, stay tuned here. Uh, if you're joining us uh, via podcast, you certainly wanted to learn about early stage investment. And uh, we thank you for joining us uh, on the podcast service. If you happen to be uh, on air on the radio with us, uh, this content and all of our episodes are available on iTunes, podcasts, uh, Pocket Casts, on your Android device, uh, as well as a YouTube channel. Uh, you can find out more about that on our website at www.cybertalkradio.com. So, uh, Jenny, Chris, thank you for joining us this week. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Yeah. So uh, when I say all about early stage investment, uh, can you uh, help share with our listeners, uh, what is Realco? How did that get started here? Uh, great question. You know, it's it's super, super interesting. I'm so excited about it. Um, we are a micro VC that invests in, incubates and accelerates early stage B2B tech companies. Um, we've been around for about a year uh, based here in San Antonio, but we invest all over. Um, we're sponsored by the Geekdom Fund, which is an early stage seed VC fund with around 25 million under management. They saw a unique opportunity in the ecosystem uh, for an earlier stage program, uh, and that's the void that we fill. So we are sponsored by them exclusively, and we um, leverage their expertise and their resources and their network uh, to help with our companies. And so we've been around for about a year and have six companies uh, to date. So if, if the world started calling you an early stage version of, of A16Z, you'd be okay with that? Yeah, I would. Okay. I think we would. Yeah. For those listening out there that have not heard of that, that's Andreessen Horowitz. It's a big uh, venture firm out of the Bay Area. Uh, they go by the acronym A16Z. And with uh, with them, they added on and, and in a more active manner than the traditional venture firms uh, by helping teams with uh, technology roundtables and business development assistance and uh, lots more guidance uh, and opportunity discovery uh, than firms had traditionally done out there, uh, which was much more of a passive board member style role. Yeah, I think we, we really model, model ourselves as a very hands-on you know, approach. To, we really like to have a small class and, and devote a lot of time and resources and energy to those companies. So a lot of other programs may have 10, 20, 30, 40 uh, companies in a certain cohort. We really like to have the ratio, you know, super, super low, um, just to give them the most headspace we can. Yeah. So if uh, uh, I had an idea and I wanted to get started and wanted to go apply to your program, what are the three things you're going to look for uh, in a, a company that's ready to enter a program like yours? Uh, that's a great question. There's quite a few things we look at, uh, first and foremost. Um, they need to be a fit uh, in terms of uh, industry segments. So we only invest and help B2B companies. So if they're a B2C, um, that's great. It's just not our expertise. Uh, our network is really well-versed in the B2B space, direct sales model, with Rackspace you know, being founded here. Uh, our, our mentors, you know, that's just who they are and their strengths. And so they have to be a B2B startup and, um, in the internet tech software space. If they check that, that box, um, then we'll take a look. Um, they typically need to be pre, you know, we have different ranges, but 
pre-raising a seed round is, is our sweet spot at the moment, um, where we'll actually invest a little bit of cash, uh, around $100,000, and then help them finish out raising that seed round and a lot of other services. Um, going back to your question, I really we really like to dig in on the team, the, the strength of the team. Um, we really like to have curious founders, really smart, high RPM. They need to have high emotional intelligence, high AQ, which is adversity quotient. Um, you know, they need to have a real passion and, and, a, and a real experience with the pain point they're solving. So it comes down to team. Um, after that, it's, it's market and product. So to add to that a little bit, Chris is our sort of the sorcerer of all of our, not the sorcerer, but the sorcerer, the sorcerer, the sorcerer yes. of our, of our leads. And he always looks for companies that have a complete founding team as well. So I don't know if he emphasized that. Yeah. too much but not only having one person with a high aq high eq high iq but having more than one person that's bought into this idea that believes in it that wants to make it happen yeah if, if you have one person with a brilliant new idea you might be crazy if you have two people that agree on that idea you may be starting a movement right and you know for us um how we define a complete team is somebody technical and then somebody non-technical um working full-time on the project, right? You know, startups are really tough. And if you don't have that complete team fully dedicated, then it's just not not good odds. So you're not funding a side hustle? Correctly, yeah, we, we do not. I'll keep the relationship open. And I've actually had great success with uh, talking with founders who were solo or didn't have a CTO or weren't full-time. And then they would, you know, follow up and contact me months later. And, and that's always a great feeling to to give them some advice and suggestions and, and for them to follow through and make some changes is super fulfilling for, for us and what we do. Yeah. So you said you you started up now about a year ago, and there's how many companies are in the Realco portfolio right now? Yeah, as of a few weeks ago, actually, we have six with one joining on this year. Um, Deer Duck will be joining us in 2018. Yay! 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 Um, so I can run through the list of companies so you get an idea of yeah this will i think this will help our listeners so when you, you said b2b for those out there that are not uh all the way in this stuff all the time that's a business to business so this is a, a company set up to start to sell products to other businesses b2c would be selling something to consumers um uh, and and then internet tech for you guys is goes kind of a wide range of categories like you could be selling stuff directly online but you could be using the internet for a lending platform you could be using the internet to drive dump trucks around Correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, well, yeah. Jenny, can you go ahead and go through and share some of the profiles yeah. and some of and the companies that were uh, successfully going through your application process to get into the Realco program? So, speaking of dump trucks, I'll start with Dauber. Um, you can think of Dauber as air traffic control for dump trucks. So, their app optimizes routes and tracks trucks so that drivers, as well as the dump truck fleet managers, basically make more money. They get more work, they eliminate phone calls, paperwork. It's an industry that has needed some disruption for a long time. Yeah, so, so if, if, if you're here in your dump truck right now listening to us <laughs> on 1200 AM, uh, then you don't have Dauber uh, making you more money and making your fleet more money. Uh, you should go check it out. Uh, so it's a great uh, business coming up here out of San Antonio. Mm -hmm. uh, that one's headquartered here as well, right? Yes. Yes, okay. But not all of your companies are headquartered here. Correct. So if you happen to be listening online on iHeartRadio and you're headquartered somewhere else, you could apply, get funded by RealCo, come down here and hang out in Texas every once in a while, but you don't need to move the business here. Exactly. I think that's one of the huge benefits of the program. In general, when you look at these 
programs, accelerators, seed fund programs, micro VC, if they're going to be hands-on, oftentimes they do want the founding team to move to the location. Um, we do not require that. We think that it is something that does help. It's great to have that in-person touch, but we make it work with remote teams also. Yeah, the more time we can spend with a team, uh, the better. But we also understand the constraints that are at play here. Um, a lot of the founding teams that we have in our programs are in their 30s, and most of them have families or in different cities, so we don't expect them to drop everything to, to be here. But the more time they're here, the better that we can really get our hands dirty. All right, continuing down the list, we have Deer Duck, who I just mentioned. Um, Deer Duck is based out of Houston, so just up the road. And Deer Duck addresses the massive problem that retailers face these days, which is that up to 50% of the time, their customers are buying for someone else. So think of all that messy data that retailers are dealing with. So Deer Duck provides a platform that powers hyper-personalized, date-triggered recommendations for retail customers as well as their networks. So they are leveraging network potential uh, within their technology. So an advertising platform for retail businesses. Kind of. It has a lot to do with the data and my data being linked to your data, being linked to Chris's data, all of us within our network and the retailers getting access to that through us. I see. Mm -hmm. It's the information age. <laughs> so it is. Uh, then we have File This. They're based out of San Francisco and they are a data and document aggregation engine for fintech platforms. So their technology actually links to 800 and growing consumer financial accounts and retrieves online bills, statements, etc., and provides them, serves them up as searchable PDFs. Yeah, so if, if I was going to apply for a mortgage, I would hope that my mortgage application company, whoever I'm processing that with, was using something like FileDisk because then I can just go in, hit a couple of buttons, and exactly. then that mortgage app is filled out. Instead of 45 minutes later, I'm still searching for my password to the 12th site I need to log into to go figure all this stuff out. Right, and no, no longer do you need to riff, you know, go through your files, try to find the right piece of paperwork and yeah. upload it. Yeah. So, exactly. Cool. After that, we have Funnel AI, and Funnel AI was actually originally based out of Austin, and Shri, the founder, moved to San Antonio for the program. And Funnel AI, as, as the name suggests, is an AI-based service that scours through millions of social media posts to connect businesses with real-time prospects. So their customers span from auto dealerships to real estate agencies to health food companies. I think it's pretty easy to see the widespread power of that type of technology. Yeah, which that one is a B2B to C almost. And in probably a lot of cases, the customers of Funnel AI are selling to consumers. Um, but Funnel AI is selling to those businesses, whether it's a, an auto dealership or a health food, vitamin company, whatever else it is. Exactly. So if someone goes on Twitter and says, oh, I'm looking to buy a Mazda, but I'm just not sure, that auto dealership now has access to that lead, which is warm, lukewarm, maybe hot. Yeah. And they can directly respond to that potential customer. Just got to have a social media presence. So if you're running a car dealership and think you can avoid Facebook and Twitter and some of these platforms these days, these are where the next generation of buyers are uh, reaching out to people for recommendations and uh, where they want to engage with brands. Mm -hmm. It's fascinating. A lot of it has to do, there's a big educational component with Funnel AI because these are somewhat antiquated industries and they might not have someone managing their social media. Yeah, so they, it's not only providing the technology, but also educating. Yeah, because if you're you're a Mazda dealer, you you can't just rely on Mazda to be on social media for you. 
because Mazda is not going, Mazda USA is not going to say, oh, you want to buy a Mazda? Well, go buy it from, pick your local dealer that owns and runs your own business. All right, up next is Mobotics, and they are an autonomous lawn mowing company. Mobotics. Yes. Uh, So their software and hardware-based technology also has the potential to be utilized in other verticals. And the, you, the Mobotics guys are trying to sell to commercial landscaping companies right now, precisely. correct? Yeah, not I, I can't buy it for my own yard yet. So Sunday, I still have to go mow my lawn before I'm allowed to watch football. Unfortunately. Okay. Sadly. Sadly, yes. Or I have to hire a landscaping company that's got Mobotics, and then they can come out and I can watch a robot drive around my yard. There you go. That sounds fun. That sounds like more fun. Yeah, so if you do run or own your own landscaping company, and again, happen to be listening to us here on the radio, uh, check out Mobotics, and uh, you may be able to uh, do some of those larger jobs you have now uh, much more efficiently. You can have a, a crew loading and unloading a whole trailer full of a swarm of little robotic robots, but they're kind of big. I've heard that the Mobotics guys are going to do big lawnmowers. This is not like the, what's the, the, the robot things in your house that vacuum it, the Roomba? Roomba? This is not like little like Roomba. This is like big rider mower, but it happens to drive itself. Yeah, Mobotics is great because they actually have the ability to retrofit existing mowers. So they actually just have a more or less a box that you can install on an existing mower. So a, a commercial mowing company won't need to replace their entire fleet. They can just put those boxes on there and get them installed, ready to go. There we go. So if you're uh, looking at... You know, scaling out and growing your business this year, you may be able to grow your landscaping business uh, through hiring Mobotics to uh, power all those mowers for you. Absolutely. And then last but not least, we have Mr. Presta, and they offer financing for small and medium-sized online retailers in both Mexico and Brazil. So instead of using traditional um, measures to assess creditworthiness, they actually use data, they analyze data from the eBay of Latin America, which is called Mercado Libre, and that's how they decide whether or not to give loans to There you go. It's an interesting one, yeah. So covering a wide range of different types of technology. Okay, so what I didn't hear anything about, though, we are on CyberTalk Radio here. There's not a single cybersecurity company yet going through the RealCo program. We're looking. Yeah. I'm looking. So if you're out there listening going, I've got a cybersecurity idea that's better than any of those other ideas, uh, you should be emailing chris at realco.com. C-H-R-I-S. At realco.com. Correct. Yeah. So Please do. Yeah. And uh, after the break, we'll, we'll dive into maybe a little bit uh, about some of the challenges on the, the cybersecurity side. Like, what have you guys seen at a high level? Why have you not funded a cybersecurity company yet? I know we've, we've got, uh, you've got some competition in the building, in a way, in BuildSec Foundry, a little bit of a different program. Um, we've got a lot of folks here as well that come out um, in the cybersecurity world, and they'll bootstrap and fund their own business because um, they can get contracting jobs, um, more of a side hustle than a full-time thing. They'll start building a product maybe as a side project and not as their, their main business initially. So it'll be some uh, interesting stuff to dive deep into that cybersecurity side of the uh, seed funding ecosystem uh, here after uh, our bottom-of-the-hour break. You're listening to 1200 WAI. This is Cyber Talk Radio. And I'm joined this week uh, by the partners at RealCo, a micro VC that invests and incubates uh, B2B startups. So uh, we're 
have talked a, a little bit about some of the companies in their portfolio already. Uh, so if you uh, just turned on the radio now and wanted to hear all about that, uh, our rebroadcast of this will go up online on our website, www.cybertalkradio, on Tuesday here uh, next week after this airs. Uh, you can also listen to the uh, past programs and uh, all of our other episodes of CyberTalk Radio uh, on that website or as well if you use an iPhone uh, through iTunes podcasts or on an Android device. Uh, Pocket Cast is my favorite uh, Android po- podcasting service, but I have lots of other ones work wonderfully as well. They're not a sponsor of the show. I just happen to plug them all the time because I think their app is great. Uh, so as you guys uh, have gone and been running now RealCo here for a year, you're at seven companies. How long does a, a company stay in this program? Is this like a four-year college program or uh, what? what is the, the term to go from uh, entrance in and up until they're moving on to, to outside of the nest here? Yeah, great question. Um, I want to take a step back and actually address something we haven't touched on uh, in too in-depth yet. And, and that is our mission and, and our goal, which is really to get them to Series A, right? And so our assumption is that the sticking point is no longer the seed round. You know, you can sell an investor on an idea, but you cannot fool a Series A investor on just an idea. You need, you need traction, right? You need traction. So where we come in is, is, is being a lifelong partner through the course of those 15 months, whether it's 12 months or 17 months. The goal is really to get you to a point where you have the traction necessary to raise a Series A and get the attention of a Series A investor. And what does that mean? It's hard to really say. Each investor is a little different of what they require, right? So some Series A investors, um, you know, like to see over a million in ARR. Some like to see more than that. Um, more investors, some investors like to really focus in on the month-over-month growth. So it just depends on on their preferences and needs. And so what we like to do is throughout the life cycle of the 15 months, start to engage them with downstream investors to get a gauge of what they want and start to really prep them for that experience, um, which is part of my role uh, outside of deal flow is, is really the fundraising point. So, and when you say a Series A, how much money is the company raising at that point in time? It depends on the company's needs. Um, typically, over a million, okay. one to three, I would I would assume, based on what they're looking to do. Okay, so they they come into the Realco program and maybe they raise some money from you, a hundred thousand dollars. They may raise some other money from other seed investors, and they've raised a hundred to maybe five hundred thousand, right, during the Realco program in general. And then 15 to 18 months later, if they're on their trajectory and on their targets, they would raise another million to $3 million of Series A funding. Yeah, that's that's a nice guideline. I can give you some examples. So, for instance, Dauber was our first company, which Jenny already alluded to. Uh, they came in our program, and we helped them raise their seed round. And so our uh, investment was part of a greater $1.1 million seed round, and, and we utilized the Alamo Angels uh, in in, in the city and, and other investors. And, and that's really our goal. And, and for other companies in our program, um, they may be ra- raising a bridge round or uh, looking for something a little smaller to start out as their seed. Um, it just depends. But the ultimate goal is to getting to building a real business with real revenues and real customers um, is really the focus. Yeah. And so you used a term that not all of our listeners may be familiar with as well, ARR. Yeah. They may think that's what pirates say. Arr. Yes. That was actually pretty that was good. really good. Thank yeah, you. That was excellent. I did not practice. Chris is a pirate, everyone. <laughs> uh, ARR is annual recurring revenue. Uh, it's a metric that a lot of investors uh, like to use to gauge uh, viability and growth of a business. And so they, they use MRR, which is monthly recurring revenue. Uh, so for Series A investors, you know, you really want to be 
um, you know, between 100 and 200K MRR to get to that point uh, in ARR that you need. And to get back to the duration of the program, we've gotten a really positive, we've gotten really positive feedback in general from our founders regarding the length of the program. A lot of similar programs who do some sort of capital investment along with some hands-on help end up lasting maybe three months. So imagine you're a founder, you're going through this crazy experience, you're working basically 24 hours, seven days a week, if possible, and then it ends after three months, and then you're just pushed out of the nest and expected to fly. And so I think a lot of founders, that works for them, and a lot of other founders want something that's more long-term, where we're walking alongside them, we're helping them address challenges as they come up, as opposed to stuffing a bunch of stuff into three months artificially. Right. I, I couldn't agree more. I think the 15-month program really resonates um, with a lot of the companies I'm speaking with. For us specifically, in dealing with B2B, you know, they're long sales cycles. And so three months may not even be long enough to, to secure a deal. You know, we really need that longer duration to to build a lasting business. Um, so we're really excited about that aspect of our program. Yeah, it feels like many of the, if you look at some of the other programs like Y Combinator, uh, many of the more successful companies out of those programs have been B2C consumer. So like if you've used Airbnb out there as a listener audience, that company went through the Y Combinator program. Um, and there's a, a number of other uh, consumer examples uh, or many of the successful business ones in that world started in a, a freemium product where they didn't have to go through a sales cycle because, yeah, as you said, during that 90 day window, the evaluation and purchase process for companies, even if you're selling to small businesses, it, you're not going to have much time to get traction during that window. If you can give something away for free, you can show usage growth. You can show this month-over-month month increase in, in daily active users. But uh, as, as we talk about quite often, users are not necessarily customers, and users may not necessarily become customers. Uh, yeah, there's a, a big bridge and a gap to go there from somebody willing to, to take something from you for free to until they're going to be willing to pay for it. So it's interesting as you, you have that shift and with the focus on B2B to uh, allow that to extend out for the 15-month period. So even there, if you were selling enterprise size deals or you're selling something like automated lawnmowers to a landscaping large landscaping firm, they're not going to make that decision in a 30-day window probably. Right, exactly. Uh, Mobotics started uh, some negotiations with customers, and it's been about two and a half, almost three months now, uh, and they're still in negotiations. So uh, proof, yeah. proof points. But I think something I'd like to emphasize is that the beauty of all of this is that there's space for both kinds of programs, right? Yes. So it's not as if we're here saying 15 months is the way to go. This is going to work for everyone. It's cookie cutter. We actually believe that cookie cutter is never the approach. So different programs are going to be right for different companies. And then even within our program, we really highly customize and tailor the format of the program, the type of education that we deliver in order to make sure that every founder is getting what he or she needs. Yeah. So uh, from the, your backgrounds of your founders, uh, all college degrees, not all college degrees. You said some in their 30s, but are they all in their 30s? Uh, what does it look like as you, is, with this focus on founding teams? Um, what kind of diversity is there? I would say the biggest commonality is that they all have some sort of track record of success. And I think Chris and Michael Girdley and others on the team were fundamental in creating an approach where we are screening each founder based on the top grading method in order to ensure that regardless of exactly what their background is, they have shown the ability to fall down, get back up, learn, be curious, be hungry, all of those sorts of things. Chris, do you want to elaborate on that? 
Yeah, sure. I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think, you know, we really look for the passion. We, we, we really look for having some kind of experience with the pain point, whether that's in the industry working in it or as a customer experiencing that pain point. So for example, uh, Dauber, uh, the founder, Brian has been in the, the, the construction industry for 20 plus years, right? He is primed and ready to go and, and perfect fit for, for solving that problem. Yeah, he'd signed many paper dump truck order tickets before in his life. Too many, too many. Yes. Um, you have the Mr. Presta founders worked at Goldman Sachs for, you know, many, many years in and, Latin America. Yeah, yeah, trying exactly. Trying to figure out how to help grow businesses down there and get them capital. Right. I, I met Lee with Mobotics, you know, on a farm in Missouri. You know, I mean, these, they're primed for, for the, their industries, which is really, really important. Yeah. This is wonderful. Well, uh, you've been listening to 1200 WAI. This is Cyber Talk Radio. We're going to take a quick break here at the bottom of the hour for news, traffic, and weather. And then I will be back with Chris and Jenny from Realco, and we will talk about what do you need to do to get a cybersecurity company funded by Realco. We're going to dive deep on this one. I'm going to press hard here and give you all the blueprint uh, for what you need to do to get Chris and the rest of the team there at Realco to say yes to you. Welcome back to Cyber Talk Radio. I'm your host, Brett Pyatt, a 20-year internet security veteran. Joined this week by two of the partners at Realco here in San Antonio. Uh, this segment of the program, we're going to talk about getting funding for a cyber security company. Uh, Chris had mentioned he had looked at a, a few um, in the first year of Realco. They've not closed on an investment for one yet. Uh, but we're going to try to lay out the blueprint uh, for you uh, during this half of the program. Uh, to understand what you would need to do uh, to get that Realco Investment Board to say yes to your idea, your company, uh, to get you into the program and get you on to uh, building the next great security product uh, business here out of San Antonio. Or uh, if you happen to be listening to us not on the air, uh, but over the AM waves, but on iHeartRadio or on the podcast across the uh, internet anywhere around the world uh, they will invest in your business there as well uh, you may need to come out and hang out with us here in san antonio a little bit but uh, you do not need to uh, move here no crazy visa processes or anything else come up with a cool idea uh, get it ready to go and uh, they are here to guide you through from that seed to your series a so uh, chris and and jenny how did you guys end up at realco to begin with so who wants to to uh, share their background I guess I'll start. Um, so I grew up in Austin, just down the road. I spent many, uh, many times here in San Antonio growing up, Spurs games and things like that. I always had a fond appreciation for uh, the city. Uh, but grew up in Austin down the road and uh, went to UT in town and, and actually did a brief stint uh, working offshore on oil rigs, um, believe it or not, uh, in wellside geology, uh, which was super interesting and, and great learning experience. Then in interesting opportunity arose to where a couple of buddies of mine from UT uh, were going to start a, a startup. And uh, I plunged and left left the rigs. Um, I made my mom really, really happy. I was no longer out there um, and started a company in Austin. But you also didn't get the W-2 paycheck anymore. <laughs> so your mom like happy, but not happy. How yeah, did yeah. that go? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because, you know, you make you make good money out there um, and you're learning a lot. But she was nervous, you know, throughout the entire time. But yeah, obviously, the startup has its own risks and rewards associated with that plunge. Um, but you, you need to find, you know, those founders who can take that plunge. Um, 
so we had that company for about two years we, where we would um, essentially create uh, high-resolution geochemical data sets that we would sell to various oil and gas companies. Uh, one, for instance, was EOG San Antonio, actually. And so they were one of our big clients. Uh, we helped them pinpoint where they should drill and frack in, in uh, unconventional resource plays. Uh, had that company for a couple of years. Um, we were acquired uh, a couple of years in, so not a huge exit, but uh, we were able to you know, uh, exit nonetheless. After that, I um, was looking for my next move. I knew I wanted to be on the other side of the table um, and essentially cold called uh, Cole Wallach with the Geetum Fund. And uh, here we are. Here we are. So I convinced him to let me in. I like it. It's uh, good. First, you got to be able to close yourself uh, and, and then uh, <laughs> Always and sell selling. for yourself. Yes, that's right. good. And then, Jenny, how about you? Yeah, so I grew up in Albuquerque, New Mexico, played a bunch of soccer there, got recruited to play soccer at Trinity University here in town, had a great time at Trinity. Shout out to the Tigers. Yes. And um, then I started working at CodeUp. I was hired by Michael Girdley to direct operations at CodeUp, which is a local computer programming boot camp. If you wanted to learn more about CodeUp, uh, go to our website, www.cybertalkradio.com. Look at our past episodes in the archive there, and you can hear all about CodeUp. We've had the folks on over there, education, workforce, developments, one of the, the big topics we hit on here, whether it's just cybersecurity or, or technology development overall, because if we don't have people, there's no one to start companies. Uh, the machines are not starting companies anytime soon. So good, good to hear that you were over there helping uh, that program uh, succeed and grow. And then you've now found your way over to RealCo here recently. Yeah, absolutely. So I actually left CodeUp after two years, not because I didn't like CodeUp, but because I had my sights on living in Spain for a year. So I lived in Madrid, Spain, fulfilled a lifelong dream of living abroad, speaking a bunch of Spanish. And then as I came back to the States, as I made my way back, I had my sights set on Colorado and Michael Girdley came out of left field and said, hey, I have the perfect offer for you sounded very exciting. I've always been interested in startups and entrepreneurship, and I'm really just animated by the idea of helping founders make their goals happen. So I thought it was a, a great move, and I came back to San Antonio to, again, direct some of the operations, work on the in-program experience, and help Chris bring in a bunch of good companies. And if you played soccer at Trinity, you must be excellent at soccer, because that's one of the programs there they recruit pretty heavily for. You're making me blush, Brett. Yes. Did how did when while you were there? How did you y'all do in the national? We made it to the national championship my senior year. And yeah. We got second. Second. Ooh. Oh. But it was in San Antonio. It was a great time. Yeah. It doesn't hurt as much today as it did then. As it did then, no. Yeah. So, and then why Madrid out of all the places to go in the world? Great question. I studied abroad in Madrid during college, and I fell in love with it. It's a very easy place to live. Love the whole Spanish lifestyle, very warm, very familial, wanted to speak Spanish, and live in Europe. Really, you, you have great access to all the other Everywhere from there, there, pretty much, yeah, it, with the, the exactly. Eurorail Pass. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's good. Uh, so now on to the cybersecurity world, Chris. So yes. there's this in San Antonio, we have 100-plus cybersecurity companies here. Most of them are, are doing cybersecurity services um, for the public sector and then for the private sector as well. We have a handful of companies here in town that are, have cybersecurity product offerings where they've built some resellable intellectual property that 
annual recurring revenue type of stuff that y'all said you like in the, the first half of the program. How do you guys think about um, investing in a services business? Maybe in, and you go all the way from custom services to recurring services in a, in, a, in a managed service provider model through to a product company. So if I was working on cybersecurity and I wanted to come talk to RealCo, um, where in that spectrum do I need to be and, and how does my, my product mix need to look? Yeah, great question. It's something we're still kind of exploring. Um, we're, we're, we found our sweet spot is more in the recurring side. Um, software side, we're trying to stay a little, try to staying away of, of hardware a little bit. Um, obviously, you need a complete team. Um, you need to have full-time um, committed founders um, pre-raising a seed round. And really, I would like to dig in on the vision and see where you want to take the company in the next five years. How big do you want to build it? What it you know? What are the goals of the company? And 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 really understand if we can provide the resources to really help. That's the big. That's the number one. You know, really understanding if we can provide enough value to those companies. And so, you know, we were talking about this earlier, Brett. But you know, the idea would be, you know, we're open to cybersecurity startups. Um, I think what we would do is create a custom program where we would partner with BillSec Foundry, where they have the, the network and, and the resources specifically for cybersecurity startups. And we can provide the expertise on, on just how to build a startup in our own network. So combined the two programs into one, I think it would be very, very powerful. Yeah. So if you've been talking to the BillSec Foundry team, uh, where they have lots of cybersecurity knowledge, um, some space to work out of, uh, many of those aspects, but they don't necessarily provide direct funding. You could end up with both programs together potentially. Correct. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We we would provide funding and and you know create a custom program along the same kind of lines that we typically do, but with the extra muscle, so to speak, of of BuildSec. Yeah. So as as you look at products out there, uh, there's products that you you have to buy. Uh, like we all have to have car insurance. Uh, and then there's products that you should buy. Like we all probably should have life insurance, but most of the time you're not required to have life insurance. In the cybersecurity world, many of these products end up in that should buy category. Uh, and as you guys are evaluating businesses, how do you, do you look at, at that as one of the things is like, is it going to be harder to grow? Is it going to be one of these where it's the eat right and exercise. Like we all probably should also have mouthwash and toothpaste, but maybe we only have toothpaste. Maybe we only brush our teeth. Um, it's these kind of products and cybersecurity end up in that realm quite a bit. Uh, give me a, a little bit of your kind of thought and perspective on these cybersecurity where it may not make people's lives easier. It just makes it safer. It eliminates risk, but it's not increasing productivity. Yeah, that's that's all true. I think when we look at uh, businesses, we look for really deep rooted pain points, and we really like to to invest in businesses that are must haves. Um, and I've seen several of those in, in the cybersecurity space. There was a company, um, I believe, that cyber hardens critical infrastructure, right? And um, but it, you know, ultimately, it still comes down to the team. You know, if the team's impressive enough, um, it comes down to their vision and their ability to pull off that vision. Um, yeah, for for me. Yeah, if you're running a, a public utility, you should want your infrastructure hardened, especially if we've after what we've seen happen in Ukraine and some other places where cyber attacks have taken um, utility companies offline for hundreds of thousands of, of residents. Kind of a scary idea. So that feels like it's probably a must-have. If you run a utility company, you should be either doing it yourself or buying a product to do it. 
Uh, so that's uh, one type of e- example. Right. Um, as you, you go through the the cyber uh, security world, uh, looking at at other things inside of businesses, if it's uh, protection from ransomware, if it was uh, uh, something to uh, make it easier for your employees to pick better passwords, all of these type of ideas, all things that interesting maybe yeah 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 no doubt um, I'm never gonna turn a, a meeting away um, happy to take a look um, you know hands down yeah so as is some of these folks especially here in San Antonio we have with the the uh, Department of Defense presence and with the uh, ecosystem around that presence here uh, there's a lot of very lucrative offers kind of like you working out on that that oil rig. Um, offshore, you're making really good money. There's opportunities for a lot of these folks to, because of the cybersecurity talent shortage, to make some pretty good money doing direct services work and not necessarily building a, a product. Um, so for some of those more talented cyber folks where they've got this six-figure-plus job offer versus maybe you're going to make a little bit less money initially while you're getting your own product company up and going, uh, walk somebody through why they would make the, the trade-off to go the seed fund and start their own company route. That's a tough question, Brett. Oh, no. I think I think it really depends on, like Chris said, back to the pain point idea. If they've experienced a pain point over and over and over and they have a great idea about how to scale up a company, about, about how to provide a service in a fashion that makes sense, if they keep feeling that itch every single day to start that type of company, that's a sign. That, that's a good sign that they should at least consider it. Yeah, I think you have to be crazy to, to do that. I mean, we, um, you know, you're, it's, it's hard. It's hard, to, it's hard to take that leap of faith. It's hard to leave, you know, the benefits and the, and the salary, but which is why the passion has to come in and, and the conviction. And, and if you can't sleep at night because you're so excited about the next day's work and what you're going to do to build the company, then, you know, that's what you need. Um, so the, the advice would be don't do it to make money because studies show that you make less. Um, statistically, uh, a lot of startups fail, right? And so you, you have to have that conviction if, if you want to pull this off. Yeah. It's an interesting one. It's like, I mean, most people that start businesses, uh, most businesses fail uh, for a wide variety of, of reasons. Um, startups potentially, especially more so because you're usually going after a big market opportunity. One of the ones you keep talking about is this market. Where's, where can this go? How big can this business be? Is it's, it's one thing to open up a business where you can grow it. If you came to Chris and said, I can build a great business. that's going to make $3 million a year in revenue. Once it's as big as it's going to get, Chris is going to tell you probably thank you, but no, thank you. Yeah. I would probably support them any way I could, um, no matter what, um, even if it's not formally through our program, right? But what we're really after, you know, a majority of what we're after is, is venture investable businesses, which should reach, you know, $100 million. And that's just the, the economics of the venture model. And so that is really what we're going after. Um, we're yeah. happy to help no matter what. But, yeah, if, if you're out there and you're looking at this, the real co model and that venture world, they want you to get to a million dollars of annual revenue in the first couple of years. And then when that A round comes in, they want you to get to $5 million of revenue in another couple of years. And then they're going to, you'll take more growth money in and then you'll get to $25 million of revenue in another few years and on through the cycle there until you've built a $100 million a year business. Yeah, that's that's the idea. Yeah. So uh, for the, the pain point piece you keep talking about, uh, 
it, given an example uh, of like, like you can use one of your portfolio companies now or something else uh, in there to walk folks through what do you, when you say a pain point that needs to be solved a better way. Mm-hmm. Uh, one good example is Deer Duck. Uh, Brett, have you ever bought a gift for someone online and then instantly been retargeted by a bunch of different companies offering you similar products that you have no interest in for yourself? Uh, it happens all the time. Yeah, the internet retargeting is moderately terrible and inaccurate. Yeah, yes. so so Katie Aquin with Deer Duck is really trying to address that problem. And that's a good example, I think, because it's a problem that all of us have experienced probably in one way, shape, or form. And so if I'm a if I'm a business owner though, what I'm doing there is like if if I had Chris came to the website and uh, bought me a coffee cup before this show, and Chris doesn't drink coffee. Actually, he does drink coffee, so this is a bad example in a way. But if he didn't drink coffee, but he knows I'm in love with coffee, so he bought me a coffee cup before the show. And now, because other folks are using related or in-market audience type of advertising, now Chris is getting stalked by coffee cup ads all over the internet. All of those advertisers are wasting their money unless he's going on another radio program where he's going to buy another host a coffee cup. So that's the piece there. It's going to help all those businesses make their advertising dollars more efficient. Exactly. Okay. And everyone's trying to get more efficient on advertising spend. Is like as you you look at it all across the world, you want to get your ad at the right time in the right place in front of the right person, um, and not in front of the wrong person because then they'll get upset and they may just say bad things about you as well. Yeah. Right. And this is an interesting example too because Katie loves gifting. She's grown up just it's one of her favorite things to do. And so she's experienced the pain point from the consumer standpoint. Yeah. And maybe that's what sparked the idea originally. But then when, yeah, exactly, when you tie it back to the business and what the implications are in terms of advertising spend and just time lost and things like that, you see that it's a really lucrative business opportunity. Yeah, I, I agree. I think another great example would be would be with Dauber. You know, what, what they're doing for those... Dump truck companies is is certainly a, a must have and certainly a deep rooted pain point. You know they've done studies and and with their system they are able to increase the number of loads they can perform per day from seven to eight almost nine loads a day. And when you can increase top line revenue for a business, that really gets their attention. Yeah, because I mean you're going if you went from six to seven or whatever that's thirteen percent more, and that that dump truck costs the same. Right. Uh, whether it does six loads or seven loads during the day, basically, you've got a driver in it. It's either idling, probably, hopefully not idling in San Antonio. If you are a dump truck driver and you're sitting in idling right now, please shut off unless you're moving. Um, yeah, we would like to keep maintain our air quality here in the area. Um, I think they even have to have anti-idle measures on them now. But those folks, if that additional load is additional paid money, so it's a 13 or 15 or 20% revenue growth. I mean, I guess another one of the companies out of the the geekdom fund broader portfolio here in town helps in the same similar thing with vending machines to more accurate inventory more timely inventory and vending machines right uh the par level folks uh yeah so those type of business there the pain point there is that that dump truck business could go buy another dump truck and then grow the business that way or they could grow the business by the same number of dump trucks and they could pay dauber a little bit of money yeah it's pretty incredible to hear stories from Brian, you know, these dump truck companies would literally have employees at gas stations counting and watching the trucks go back and forth, right? That's how antiquated and, and ripe this industry is, uh, you know, for their products and service. I mean, sitting at a gas station watching them because they don't know where their trucks are. They have no idea. And it's, you're playing with 
<laughs> with materials that have to go to a certain place. And if you misplace that and it takes it to the wrong dump site, uh, there's some heavy repercussions for that company. Yeah, there's yeah. If you, when the dump truck gets loaded up, if say you're excavating a an old building here in downtown by us, and you dug up a bunch of stuff out of there that might have asbestos in it, might have all sorts of things, you can't just go take that and dump it anywhere. Like it's there's got to be a documented record of where did you pick it up and where did you take it to and where is it getting stored and how. Right. Yeah. And I mean Brian's 20 plus years of experience in the construction industry have given him a very intimate look at all of these various pain points and he's constructed this app to try to address many pain points along the way the interesting thing as well is that he continues to work with dump truck drivers dump truck fleet managers and dispatchers to make sure that the product is actually solving the problem and not producing more problems so i think that's another key step along the way as you're building a startup um, iterating a lot and making sure that you have lots of touch points with the people that you're that you're serving. Yeah, the voice of the customer. Precisely. And that voice can be the little voice in the back of your own head that usually probably sparks it and gets your idea going. But after that, you've got to ask other people and talk to them and make sure that you're not crazy. It's back to, as we said in the first half of the program, if there's one person with a little voice in the back of their head that thinks this is an amazing idea, you might be crazy. If you can convince a second person you've started your movement, and then when you actually have other people opening up their checkbook trying to buy your product, then you've, you've really found a, a true pain point. Yeah, there's no greater validation than, than paying customers. You know, I tell startups all the time, they come to me and they, I'm talking about in the B2B space, they come yeah. with and they say they have customers but they're not paying. You know, it's a big difference from having a non-paying to a paying customer, which is why I advise um, startups to have paying pilots. Yeah. Um, big advocate of that. Yeah, if the, if the company is not willing to pay you anything for the pilot, um, they may not really have a pain point there. They might just be acting polite. Right. And it's at, it's terrible for you in, in your business, yeah. Yeah, an example, you know, with Mobotics, he felt the personal pain point on his family's farm, I believe, doing using a brush hawk. Um, and he thought there's got to be a better way. Um, but instead of attacking the brush hogs, he attacked lawn mowing. Um, built up the system and and brought on a team member right so he's not as crazy anymore uh and he's begun to secure and fill orders for uh, various units so he's beginning to see uh, traction there so it's great validation and it's ever growing and, and he's ever learning so we're excited about him and his team yeah so if i was going to come talk to you should i already have my first paying customer you don't have to you don't have to um we have taken companies that are pretty first customer obviously it's it's always a good thing um you know if you're if you're sewed up with a complete team and one or two paying customers is really great um but if you don't it's not a problem we we can still chat and yeah and and the chat might be go get somebody to write you a check for this and then come back and i'll write you a bigger check potentially well that's part of the part of the appeal of our program is that if we believe in the team and and what they're solving then we will help them and coach them to those first few customers. Yeah. It's really what we're made for. And you don't have a set. It's not like every March 3rd this thing starts. It's going on all the time. So if you're listening to this on Saturday night here, you could come talk to Chris on Monday. Um, but if you also are like, you know what, I'm not ready right now, but I'm ready three months from now, you can talk to Chris three months from now as well. Right. We. It just goes back to our philosophy that 
our company and our program should align with the flow of our startups businesses. So it's not an arbitrary start and end date. Then what does full look like for your program? So you're at seven companies now. They're going to stay around for 12 to 18 months. Have you guys figured out, is there a full? Is there not a full? How's that going to work? That's a great question. We're actually at six, six companies. Um, There is a seventh we're working on. Okay. So, so I love, I like the, I like your attitude. Uh, And um, you know, originally we thought 10, would be a good number. You know, ultimately we want to keep the ratio of mentors and, and real co-partners, you know, a, a nice, a nice, you know, correlation there. So we don't really want to overstretch ourselves. I think somewhere in the range of 10, 11, 12 will be a good fit um, with the current current staff and, and time allocation. Yeah. So you guys could end up full here in 2018. That's the goal. That's, that's your goal? That's is that goal. your goal for the year? Uh, that is my, my goal. There you um, go going to be doing a lot of traveling. I've created an inside sales model and trying to bring companies in and, and uh, go from there. Because you guys are a startup in your own sort of way as well, right? Like no one's ever done this model until now. You could say that we're a startup helping startups start up. I have been known to say that. Yeah. But it's great because we know to some extent what they're feeling. You know, we're also iterating. We're also refining our message. We're also making sure that we're delivering to our customers so yeah we have a parallel path in some ways so uh for the listeners that stayed with us here on cyber talk radio uh, through the uh, end of the hour and through the end of our program this week uh any asks or uh, ideas or other things you'd like to share with them yeah of course um you know we're always on the lookout for for top talent and passionate founding teams so uh as jenny stated earlier our applications are open and would love to speak with anybody uh, who has an interesting idea in, in starting a business. Realco.com. Yep. To add on to that, we're also always looking for mentors who have different subject matter expertise across pretty much any vertical, as well as investors downstream. So we do a lot of mentor and investor relations and would love to hear from people who are interested in contributing to the Realco program. Thank you uh, both for joining us this week. And if uh, you've just turned on the radio right now, uh, you've caught the last moments of CyberTalk Radio. You can check us out on our website at www.cybertalkradio.com. <laughs>